Hello everyone, welcome back to Biomara. This is a weekly news show where we'll discuss some of the weird, strange, and just downright odd things that have happened in the art and history fields. I'm your host and personal curator, Amara Andrew, and yes, it has been quite a long time. This week we're talking about Midjourney's list of artists that they used to train their AI, art sales plummeted in 2023, what entered the public domain in 2024, and did Paleolithic people cut their fingers off for art or religion or neither or both or something? I don't know. Anywho, hi, welcome back to the show. Um, oh, let's get to it. I am so rusty. Holy shit. As you know, if you are a loyal, sorry, my headphones are really fucking loud. Uh, hi, it has been quite a long time. I'm so sorry. Also, new mic. Who dis? No. uh but yeah what up bitches it's sorry that was aggressive it's been a really long time since I've done my podcast I mean it's only been like well no it's been like two months I think actually I should have looked this up when was the last time I recorded that's not my YouTube channel who am I that is not me it has been a very long time since I've recorded an episode of Biomara and as you can already tell I am very rusty but rusty butt (laughs) um oh my god yeah it has been December 28th was the last episode of Biomara, so it has been over a month, and we're just going to see how this goes. Um, I haven't done the show just because we've been so, so busy. Sorry, I'm starting off on all these different trains of thought. I'm just so excited to see you again. It's been so long. Um, But yeah, anyway, I have not posted Biomara for a very long time just because we have been crazy busy. Like within the last month, I calculated it, we have been to, okay, so in the past month, we've been to, well, we've been here. We went to Dallas and then Buffalo, New York, and then San Jose, and then we came back, and then we went to a baby shower, and then next week we're going to Orlando, and then right after that we're going to Miami, and then after that we're going to uh, various other... We're going everywhere, basically, because of my business. Uh, I almost said Biomara. That's the name of this show. Uh, But my business is Maven, so it's videography for realtors. Made simple, but basically we are traveling across the country to film with our top bananas and stuff like that. And it's been so much fucking fun. I love it. It's just been so much travel. So anyway, TLDR, it's also been a lot of editing. So I have just been focused on that specifically, not really on this show, just because it's something extra that I'm doing just kind of for fun. Um, So which who thinks art and history is fun? I do. (laughs) Sorry, I have like calluses on my hands. I do a lot of kettlebell stuff for like workouts and it's not great for the hands. Anywho, so it has been quite a long time. I'm so sorry, but that's just how it's going to go. And I'm trying to figure out how to do the show like with minimal editing because it does take a lot of time adding all the graphics and edits and stuff like that. And if I curse too much uh, for YouTube or for my parents who don't watch this, but anyway, um, but blah, blah, blah. I'm just trying to make this as easy and straightforward as possible. So sorry. I'm also just, you can zoom ahead if you don't give a shit. Cause like, I don't blame you. I am just fucking rambling. Um, but yeah, anyway, so happy new year. Also, I know it's been a new year for like a whole month, but whatever, better late than never. Um, new year's is very fun. I was thinking about there's a story that I've been telling and <laughs> to people and I cannot get through it without laughing like an absolute lunatic. So I told it on New Year's Eve and it was the hardest I think I've ever laughed in my entire life. Like tears are streaming down. I almost passed out because I couldn't breathe. But anyway, maybe I'll tell you one day. Probably not. But yeah, like I said, we've been traveling a bunch. We went to a baby shower for one of my friends um, here, which was really fun. It was like a baby shower like I've never been to, which was awesome. I mean, I've only been to one other baby shower 
as you could probably tell, I'm not really like a baby kind of person. So <laughs> I don't like babies. <laughs> I'm not fond of babies. Um, so I'm not really into that kind of world, but this was very fun. Like this was my style of baby shower and I loved it. It was awesome. Um, but yeah, like we said, we're going to, we said, like I said, we're going to Orlando and then Miami next week, um, next weekend. So that'll be really fun. And then it'll be my birthday. I'm officially going to be in my thirties. Like I'm already 30, but I'll be 31. So that'll be like in my thirties, you know, and that's a little scary. Um, oh, and this is super exciting. So shockingly, I know I've never been out of the United States, which shame on me. Um, but just a lot of different reasons why not, that sounds nefarious, but just genuinely just busy with other things but I'm super excited because we're actually finally going out of the country we are going to go to Rome Italy for my dad's 80th birthday in April and I'm very excited um especially obviously with degrees in art history it's like perfect for me so um I've been brushing up on my Italian and French for no reason I'm much better with French than I am with Italian so that's gonna be interesting but um sorry I thought Jeff was looking at me but he's just standing in the closet doing whatever he's doing I don't even know he didn't even hear me <laughs> anyway uh so I'm very excited to be going I have a lot of travel stuff to book but I also need to figure out how to sleep on an airplane because I just I cannot ever sleep on an airplane I can't nap and I can't sleep on an airplane so I need to figure that out me problems anyway what the fuck else so much has happened I don't even know what to say <laughs> it's just like life um, oh, I got a new coffee grinder. That was very exciting. Fellow has this one. It's called the Ode Grinder. And you can, it's like variable setting and it's a, a burr grinder. I don't know. Blah, blah, blah. Coffee nerd. I love coffee. But as you can tell, I'm like, Wah. but it has been so much fun. It's like so stupid because it brings me a lot of joy just because I love coffee in the morning. It's like one of my favorite things. But anyway, I digress. Oh, and I got a Fitbit. So <laughs> it's dumb because now I'm like tracking everything, but I find it really interesting to have all that data. I really wanted to get it to track my sleep and see how certain things like alcohol or <laughs> marijuana, how uh, certain things affected my sleep and see if it's okay for me to have them or if I have something like important coming up, does it really affect it and blah, 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 blah. And also I wanted to track my workouts like excuse me, I'm so salivating. Uh, but like when I lift weights and when I walk around the neighborhood or wherever, I walk wherever, I like walking. Um, but I wanted to track all of that and kind of see how it all correlates. I don't know. I, there's really no purpose for me to tell you this, but it was just exciting. So anyway, when I put it on, I feel so stupid because like I would always make fun of people who would make wear Fitbits just because the type of person who I think wears a Fitbit is not who I want to be essentially is what I'm trying to get at. So I was like looking at getting the aura ring, but then I was like, eh, I don't really know if that's like right for me. So TLDR. Oh, and I got it also. So then the, I hate alarms in the morning. It is like the worst fucking thing in the world. Like it's so jarring and it just pisses me off for the rest of the day. So I forgot the, one of the main reasons why I got it was because it actually has like a vibrate function to it. Um, so when you set the alarm, it actually vibrates, vibrates on your wrist, which I know Apple watches do that too, but that feels so cumbersome to sleep in. And I just needed something like small, tiny. Um, oh, and I got a new bracelet. It says be happy. It's really cute. Anyway, blah, blah, blah. I'm just fucking rambling. Holy shit. But it's been so long. Um, anyway, so excited about Fitbit. I think that's basically it. So I'm already hungry. It's like almost dinner time. So 
Let's just get rolling with the show. Uh, these stories are a little bit older just because I meant to record the first week of January and here we are. It is mid-February. Oh, it's actually Valentine's Day today. Happy Valentine's Day. Um, so I just wanted to get this rolling and going. So I already found these stories and I thought they were still really interesting. So I just wanted to share them with you. So I just need to swallow my spit. All right. Well, let's just get into the show. <laughs> hair just got trapped on the mic <laughs> and I just oh, that was I am a hot mess today anyway a list of artists that were purportedly used to train the mid-journey AI has been released Ooh, or rather leaked I guess so mid-journey is a generative AI program where you type text prompts into a box and then you can get images blah 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 it's really fun you should try it uh just like drugs kids <laughs> so uh so anyway a spreadsheet called the mid-journey stylist began circulating at the end of last year and it contains over 16,000 artist names that are alleged to have been used to train the AI. So this has been something that a lot of people have been wondering, because like if you type in a prompt like, oh, I want a plate of spaghetti that looks like Salvador Dali made it or whatever, um, then you can get something that looks like Salvador Dali. And I've always been curious, like who do they actually use and how do they identify or figure out who they want to include or what kind of art movements and stuff like that. Um, so this stylist was actually very interesting to me. Um, what's interesting too is that most of these names are modern or like uh, contemporary artist names. So for example, um, well, I guess I should back up. There are a lot of different styles on this list. Um, so they go very deep into very specific things. Uh, there are a lot of different punk styles, which I'm a huge fan of punk, but it's like art punk. It's very interesting. Anyway, so there are a shit ton of artist names. There are also um, a shit ton of people who are on the uh, proposed editions list, but we'll talk about that in a second. So anyway, the spreadsheet itself was made inaccessible after it was leaked, but you can still find a copy of it on the internet archive, which is where I'm looking at it right now. Um, and then there are also lists of the artists in court documents from November 2023 because Midjourney was under fire in legal trouble, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> like I said, I'm trying to do this show without edits, so I'm just going to keep rambling and fill the space because it is a show of one. Anyway, so mid-journey in the lawsuit, so this is what it is. I should have read ahead in my notes. So mid-journey alongside DeviantArt, Stability AI, and Runway AI are part of a class action lawsuit accusing them of copyright infringement for allegedly using their work without their permission to train AI. So that has been a huge grumbling within the art sphere is that like if you put your art out on Deviant Art or something like that and then it's like oh well now AI can like mid-journey you could type make this in the style of blah 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 and then presumably it would pop up um, so they are having to scrape certain repositories and resources to figure out oh okay we should actually like this is where we can train our AI for lack of a better term so court documents detail that the list was first published to a Discord server in February 2022 uh, by Midjourney CEO David Holtz, who is quoted in a series of messages explaining how the names can be used as text prompts to generate images. He stated, quote, I should be clear, it's not just genres, it's also artist names. It's mostly artist names. 4,000 artist names, 1,000 styles. Man of few words, no. <laughs> um, but if you look through the stylist, it is a shit ton of artists. There are very minimal types of styles, actually. Um, there are a lot of 
blank core. So like there's tween core, urban core, wizard core, honey core. I don't even know what honey core. The fuck is that? Gore core. Ooh, that'd be a fun band name. Anyway, um, but there are a, a wide variety of different genres in there. There are also a lot of different what are called genes, apparently, and it's like visual quality. So if you say you want something blurry or black and white or optic or uh, color gradient or grid, there's a whole fucking list. Wow, there's a lot. Oh, and this is where they also have all of the different like art schools. So like traditional what you would learn in art history class. Um, so like abstract expressionism, abstract expressionism, minimalism, um, Afrofuturism, Chicano art photography like all these various different things so this is actually very interesting to see um but it makes sense because you need to have all of these things accessible in here so like I said there's also a whole slew of artists it's kind of interesting to see what artists have actually been included and then what are in what I mentioned earlier the proposed editions so I basically went through and I was trying to look for some of like the top artists like da Vinci not on the list, which is really weird, but Da Vinci was actually in the proposed edition. So um, some of the artists on this list that are actually have already been used by Midjourney to train their AI are like Corbet, Warhol, obviously, uh, Frida Kahlo, Damien Hirst, Twombly, Basquiat, Shepard Fairey, Dali, Duchamp, Van Gogh, like basically everybody. But it was weird because there's like seemingly kind of a cutoff almost where it's like pre-1800s artists, I don't know. It was weird because I was trying to figure out, because like Corbet is 1800s, so we'll just nix that. But like, well, and so is Van Gogh. Okay, so a lot of people are 1800s, but like pre-1800s. So like Da Vinci, like I said, wasn't on the list, but he's on the proposed editions list. But also what's weird too is like Delacroix also is, but he was 1800s as well. So I don't know. I was just trying to kind of figure out like where's that cutoff? Because also then if you were like, well, what about the most Googled art? I don't know. I really want to know what decisions were made and how it was figured out. Like, oh, okay, we should like use these artists or maybe we can't touch certain artists. It's like really weird because then like, does somebody copyright Da Vinci? I have, I literally have no fucking idea. I just thought it was really cool. So anyway, if you want to look through the stylist, it's very interesting. Um, I could definitely look through it for like forever. Um, and there are just a bunch of different tabs and stuff. So yeah, if you just look it up, you can find it. There's so many artists on here. Holy shit. Um, a lot of, oh, there's <laughs> some interesting, uh, what the fuck? So I have not clicked on this tab. Oh, but it's like all the words that they're trying to look for and like various different. Okay. So these are the words that they do not want to appear in their searches because I was like, I don't think people would search for that. Anyway, TLDR, it's very interesting. Spreadsheet was leaked. You can either find it on the internet archive or in the lawsuit. Um, so yeah, fun fact. Anyway, on to our next story. So if you've listened to this podcast before, you know that I've talked about art sales and blah, blah, blah. And I find it all very interesting for a wide variety of reasons. But mostly I find art sales interesting because it kind of gives you the the current pulse on the market and where things are kind of headed. So for me, it's almost like a canary in a coal mine because it's it can tell you a lot. So art is something that is a luxury or it's like an investment piece for some people. And if people 
are feeling comfortable and good or are looking kind of for that next investment, they will more readily invest in art and various, various specific luxury items like that. So anyway, what I wanted to talk about specifically for this story, excuse me, <laughs> I had a lot of juice before I recorded. During the pandemic, art sales skyrocketed. So like 2020, 2021, and then into 2022, sales just skyrocketed rocketed (laughs) and this was a mixture of like nft sales so like crypto blah 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 all that fun stuff whatever you think and feel keep it to yourself uh so a mixture of that but then also auction houses like christie sotheby's blah 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 (laughs) blah 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 the top art house in the country and world um so anyway it makes a lot of sense though that sales skyrocketed at this time because like everybody was home. Everybody was like, I want to buy things and I'm feeling uncertain about the future, but also like kind of comfortable. And I don't know, it's really weird. It's interesting to see kind of how people choose to spend their money anyway. So sales skyrocketed. Well, in 2023, they plummeted <laughs> severely also, I might add. So according to Christie's and Sotheby's, these are the combined auction and private sales numbers from both auction houses. Um, so combined auction and private sales amounted to $14.2 billion, still a shit ton of money, but that marks a decrease of over 13% from $16.4 billion that they reported in 2022. So in 2022, 16.4, 2023, 14.2. That is significant. Like that's two, just a little over $2 billion of a decrease in the art market, which is very scary for people who work, live, (laughs) partake in the art market. Um, Christie's specifically reported a 20% decline from $8.4 billion in 2022 in revenue to, or sales rather. Um, So 20% decline from $8.4 billion in 2022 to $6.2 billion in 2023. That's a lot. Uh, Meanwhile, Sotheby's actually stayed with a total of an even, like about $8 billion for both years. So Sotheby's didn't really fluctuate that much. Christie's did significantly. I do wonder if that's because of NFTs now that I'm thinking about it, because I think Christie's sold NFTs, but I'm not entirely sure. I have no idea. Um, So anyway, industry analyst art tactic, though, they show an even starker decline they state that there was actually a 19% decrease from 2022 across Christie's, Sotheby's, and then another auction house, Phillips. What's also super noticeable too is that of the most expensive top 10 artworks that were sold, three artworks kind of were like the ones that fetched the highest prices out of all 10 of them. Uh, Cumulative sales, there was a significant drop too in the top 10 artworks sold. Cumulative sales totaled about $660 million in 2023, compared to just over a billion dollars in 2022. So that's almost a 50% decrease. That is crazy. That's huge. Like that's insane. Um, It's also insane to spend that amount of money, I will just say personally. But anyway, um, so throughout 2021 and 2022, in contrast, the prices for top artworks increased consistently with few artworks selling for less than $50 million. In 2023, though, four out of the top 10 artworks sold for less than $50 million. So like I said, you had this steady rising throughout 2021 and 2022. And then all of a sudden, 2023, it just plummeted. Why? 
I don't know, but <laughs> I would really like to have some, I'm not a fucking economist, clearly, but I would be, be very curious to see that in relation to people's other buying patterns. Cause even like, so I work with a lot of realtors for my business, obviously in the real estate market, housing also has been very finicky, which like, duh, but now that interest rates are actually going to be coming down this year, fun fact, <laughs> significantly a few different times is what the Fed has said. Fed said, uh, Kevin Federline, no, Ugh. Uh, but now that that's going to be fluctuating and going down all the different in interest rates, Jesus, the housing market is supposed to have this other big boom, which will be really interesting to see if that actually happens. I wonder then too, if the auction houses will also see that big boom going into the, this year. I don't know if they will. Honestly, I feel like 2023 was kind of the year that the pandemic and everything sort of caught up to all of us. <laughs> it was a very interesting, weird sort of year. But anyway, I digress. Um, so specifically, well, I've been talking about the major auctions. Sorry, that was very loud. I've been talking about the major auction houses, um, but it's also smaller galleries that are really tightening their purse strings and kind of feeling the effects of all of this happening. It's trickle down economics. <laughs> I didn't pay attention much in economics, but I know a couple of words. Smaller galleries that feature early and mid-career artists are notic noticing a significant pullback in buying, particularly from U.S.-based collectors, which is also very interesting. Uh, a couple years ago, I don't quite remember. I should have looked it up, but that was my bad. I was just like, I'm going to record today. And I'm like, what the fuck was I even talking about? I remember specifically in 21 and 22, most of the collectors were from Asia and Europe who were buying all of these various different artworks and things. Some US-based collectors, but I remember it not being a significant amount of money or a significant number of people buying them. Um, so that's also very interesting. It's very telling of kind of where the country is headed. And also now, since it's an election year, as I'm talking and thinking about this, that's going to be very interesting too, because I didn't keep up with the art market at that time. So I'm very curious to see how an election year will influence the art market if people are going to be more gung-ho to buy these different things, because it can kind of go either way where it's like, oh, I view this as an investment piece, so I want to buy it. Or I'm scared shitless. I don't know if I'm going to have money, job, career, future, wife, child, dog, whatever. <laughs> in a year. So then it's like, okay, do I save all my shekels or do I spend them on investments? Like what the fuck do I do? And the art market is very odd. It's very subjective, which just like anything that you can basically invest in, but art even more so just because of the aura around it and how people talk about it. I don't know, blah, blah, blah. So I know it's definitely a sign of privilege to be able to afford artworks and to be able to buy them. Um, I personally have some artworks that I would like to buy, but again, it's like a gajillion billion billion dollars. And to me, that's not a safe investment, even though I love art and I like think the world of it clearly. Um, but I just think it's very interesting seeing how people are choosing to invest their money in certain assets. And if then maybe that money if that money isn't going into the art market, then where else is it going? I don't know. It's just something to pay attention to, I guess. So fair warning. <laughs> I, again, not financial advice. I didn't even say that, but not financial advice. I guess that's what you're supposed to say. But I just found that very interesting. So anyway, on to our next story.
So every year, new works, that was a hard cut, sorry. Every year, new works from the arts, so like literature, music, visual arts, like basically anything you'd think of as art, blah, blah, blah. Various different things enter the public domain. I love the public domain. It is so very exciting. When I was an archivist too, we would have uh, like a review. Well, you're supposed to. You'd have a review of certain materials and then you would either be like, oh, okay, cool. I can unrestrict this, meaning basically everybody who is involved in this should be dead (laughs) by now, or it's been X amount of years, we can bring it out to the public. So like we had a whole abortion fund or fund. We had the records from an entire abortion collective. So like a lot of those had to be restricted, names redacted, things like that, just because it's a very sensitive thing, clearly. So we could not show a lot of it to the public or we had to have them sign something and blah, blah, blah. And they couldn't take photos. Eventually in the future, enough people from those records should theoretically be gone. So it'll, it'll be open common knowledge. Probably a lot of the names will still be redacted just because it's health records, but I digress. Anyway, I love the public domain. (laughs) I find it so interesting and it's very fun and you can have access to all these different things for free. So the public domain refers to anything that is free from intellectual property rights. So you can basically use the works however you'd like without needing permission. So obviously one of the main things, if you haven't heard of it by now, uh, Steamboat Willie entered the public domain this year. And that is very exciting for many different people, many artists. They've had a lot of fun with it. Um, But other noticeable, sorry, other notable characters uh, like Tigger from Winnie the Pooh, I guess, and Peter Pan from, you guessed it, Peter Pan have also entered. Um, There were also a bunch of different films and one from like Charlie Chaplin, a few different books um, like Dark Princess by W.E.B. Du Bois, Coming of Age in Samoa by Margaret Mead, which is a very dicey book. Uh, Just FYI, (laughs) if you haven't read it, it's interesting. Uh, And then there's also uh, Nadja by surrealist artist Andre Breton. I think that's like, it's weird. I haven't read it in a very long time, but I think that's honestly one of my favorite books because it's so odd. I'm not a big fiction person. I really tend toward nonfiction um, just because I like to learn something, but it's a very odd, wonderful little book. It's very surrealist. Basically, it's telling the tale of this guy's love affair. I think it was like a, what, a 10 day, I think it was like a 10 day affair with a woman named Nadja. And she's very specific and <laughs> just like odd. Um, but the thing that I adopted from the book specifically was the idea of the dreave and like derive and just wandering aimlessly throughout the city and just kind of seeing where it's going to take you and where you're going to go and blah, blah, blah. And it's very fun. I don't know. I very much enjoy that. Just like wandering. Um, <laughs> that doesn't sound great. But anyway. Um, so it's really interesting too, to look at like the ideas of love and crushes and blah, blah, blah. It's a, it's a really interesting read. It's really short too. I don't remember how many pages it is, um, but I definitely recommend reading it. So go check it out. That would actually be really interesting if somebody made a film on it. Maybe I will. Um, it's just a really strange read. So anyway, I digress. Um, so that's in the public domain now, so you can do whatever you'd like with it. A bunch of other artworks also are included in the public domain. So work by Picasso, Bertolt Brecht, and uh, Francis Picabia, and then a few different music compositions. I don't really have a ton of things, but you can just Google what's in the public domain in this year. Um, and you can see a bunch of things if you haven't already, but like a uh, Cole Porter song, let's do it. Let's fall in love. That is one of my favorite songs. I love it. I don't know. It's just like cute. But then also pickpocket blues by Bessie Smith, which is a classic song. You should definitely listen to it, which you can now for free in the public domain. You also could before with YouTube, but I digress. 
Um, so then also other musicians like Hank Williams and the whole music catalog of Django Reinhardt, who is one of my favorite jazz musicians of all time. I didn't even think that it would be time for his stuff to enter the public domain, but he died really young. So we're basically at the time where his catalog is just free and open. Um, I love, 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 love his music. It is just, there's something about it. Um, Oh, and it was even more amazing. Sorry, I'm trying to read through my notes. It's even more amazing too because I forgot his pinky and ring fingers were actually damaged in a fire so he couldn't use them to play. So he literally, you need to listen to his music and when you hear it thinking about that also, it's just fascinating. Like, I don't know. I love it. It's very, very, very catchy. I love it. Um, So, oh, and then finally, the oldest American picture book, which was the cutest thing. I don't know. I don't know how I had never heard of this book. It was like the perfect fucking book for me. The oldest American picture book called Millions of Cats by Wanda Gog, and it's spelled G-A-G, A with a little accent over it. G-A-G, but it's pronounced Gog, allegedly. This book has now been entered into the public domain. It was created in 1928, and it was written and illustrated by Gog, the cats in it are so fucking cute. I like, do you know when something's so cute, you just want to like punch something or maybe that's just, <laughs> I don't actually want to, but it's just something where it's just so cute. You're just like, ah, you just have like so many feelings. I have lots of feelings. Um, but anyway, the cats in it are the cutest fucking cats. I love them so much. Like I love cats also because we used to have a little kitty butt and they're just the cutest things. You need to look them up. Or if you're watching this, I have a photo somewhere <laughs> so you can see them. They're so fucking cute. But the whole book is about allegedly an elderly couple who realize they're lonely. And then the husband goes out to find a cat and bring it home to his wife. That was so cute. Oh, my God. Um, but essentially, I guess he gets decision fatigue and he returns home with like literally a million, millions of cats. So anyway, that sounds like a dream fucking come true. Jeff, get on it. No. <laughs> But yeah, anyway, so those are just some of the things that are in the public domain right now. So if you're an artist and you want to have happy, creative, fun time, um, go look. All right, on to our last final story. Prehistoric peoples may have chopped off their fingers for ritualistic purposes, whether religious or just some other type of ritual. In a paper that was presented at a meeting of the European Society of Human Evolution, they analyzed over 200 handprints that were missing at least one finger from 25,000-year-old cave paintings in France and Spain. And we've talked ad nauseum about said cave paintings before, so go listen to past episodes. In some of these paintings, only a segment of the finger was missing. So it was just like, I believe, I'm not 100% sure, but it looked, it seems like it was just like a little like that was taken off. Um, and in some of these paintings, um, oh, sorry. <laughs> and then in some of the other ones, several fingers were lost. So what the hell? <laughs> Until now, it was believed that this was either artistic license, um, which would be really interesting, or that it was from like a wide variety of different medical or uh, various other different reasons. Because like at the time you couldn't, well, I guess now you can't really replace your fingers, but you didn't really have medical assistance like you do now, clearly. <laughs> so it could have been like frostbite accidents, whatever. According to this article, 
There's some compelling evidence now that this may have been done for specific ritualistic purposes, especially when looking at contemporary groups, groups like the Dani women, or Dani, apologize for mispronunciation, uh, from these, this group of women from the New Guinea highlands. They, according to this article, quote, sometimes have one or more fingers cut off following the death of loved ones, including sons or daughters. We believe that Europeans were doing the same sort of thing in Paleolithic times, end quote. Like I said, just pushing through. Um, the researchers believe that this was done to elicit help from supernatural entities, which I would be very curious to know more about that. If it's almost like a cleansing ritualistic sort of thing, I'm obviously these are theories. So like, at the end of the day, we'll never know, but speculation is kind of fun. So <laughs> put that on a t-shirt. This group of researchers, though, they faced some challenges to their theories, which rightfully so, um, with some other people arguing that amputation of fingers would have been catastrophic for the people involved if this was a ritualistic thing, because theoretically they could have bled out or whatever, or you could, could have gotten infected. I guess you wouldn't bleed out from your finger, but you could have gotten really infected, or I guess if you're anemic, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Primarily because without having functioning hands, which is what this group of researchers who are against what this other group of researchers is saying, um, because you would have been unable to cope with the harsh conditions prevalent all those years ago. So the team is currently gathering more evidence to support their claims. Um, they, in their research, they looked at both prints and stencils. So prints are where there's pigment on the hand and then it's pressed to the cave of the wall. The stencil was when the hand was already placed on the wall and then ink was shot over it, whether like using like a little pea shooter kind of thing or whatever, however they did it um, to kind of make like a little, yeah, like an outline, like a silhouette. And they looked at four cave sites, Matravieso and Fuente del Truco in Spain and Garga and Cosquieu in France. Which is, what's really interesting, too, is that this isn't just in these caves in France and Spain. That was purely the only caves that the researchers are looking at. Um, and it's, there are many different iterations of this throughout time, like years time. <laughs> what else? Um, the researchers also found significant evidence in other parts of the globe, including four sites in Africa, three in Australia, nine in North America, and five in South Asia. Oh, and one in Southeast Asia. So while this might seem a little bit extreme, the researchers are saying that this may have been some sort of ritualistic purpose, whether, like I said, religious, or if it's kind of like almost like fire walking or face piercing or some other kind of rituals, something like that, where it's a way for the groups of people to bond with one another. Um, and that showing that you can like cooperate and work within your tribe or if it is kind of like a status symbol of some sort or even just some sort of symbol there had to be some fucking reason because like why the hell else would you chop off your finger like there has to be something behind it but anyway i just thought that was really interesting so um sorry this episode was a little rambly at the beginning and throughout but i'm trying to no to low edits um so i hope to be talking to you again next week but we'll see how my schedule is also i needed to talk about this book this is so I heard this from a recommendation from another podcast. It's called Cursed Bunny by Bora Chung. Most disgusting, weird fucking stories. I love this book. <laughs> it's really good. Okay, so I said I don't read a lot of fiction. I've been reading this lately and it is very good. It's called Cursed Bunny by Bora Chung. It is 
wild. It's a collection of stories. Um, I believe she's a South Korean author. I think she's from Korea. Um, but it's weird in the best way possible. So anyway, I definitely recommend it. If you like weird shit, you will enjoy it. So anyway, that'll do it for this episode of Bye Amara. Um, be sure to like, comment, subscribe, or don't fucking do any of that. Whatever floats your little boat. And I'm Amara Andrew. Never stop creating. Bada fucking bing. <laughs>